Good day, everyone. Jordan and Amy mentioned we're, uh, we're, we're losing our international flavour with our student ministers. Uh, over the last several years, we've had student ministers from uh, South Africa, from India, from Northern Ireland, but we are keeping our international flavour next year. We've got someone coming from New Zealand, so uh, <laughs> it's all fine. And we actually have a, a long time ago student minister here. Jules is with us. Many of you won't know her because you've joined her since she went off to do student work up in Townsville, but catch her over morning tea later on. So welcome, Jules. But I'll pray before we look at this wonderful passage. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, all the students who've come and joined us, and we thank you for the privilege it is for us uh, to share in their training and then to send them on uh, to do your work in other places. Father, now help us as we turn to look at your scriptures together. Help us to be struck afresh by the wonderful news of the Christmas story uh, as we look at this beginning of the story this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As I get older, I'm getting more and more uh, nostalgic at Christmas time, I find. I actually, uh, Mike mentioned listening to Christmas carols and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I find I'm doing that. I find also, I, I'm, it's weird, I'm nostalgic for things I've never experienced. So I actually look at, you know, snowy Christmases with a lot of, oh, isn't it wonderful? And I think I've never actually experienced that. I don't, I don't know why I'm feeling nostalgia for it, but anyway. But one of the things I think all people love about Christmas, or at least people who love Christmas, love about Christmas, is it is just so familiar to us, uh, including the Christmas story. There is something comforting about the familiarity of the Christmas story. And I'm sure many, many of us have memories of playing Joseph or Mary in a uh, school or a church nativity play as a child, or perhaps you never got to be Mary or, and Joseph, and that's a, uh, a, a bone of contention for you. Perhaps you were only shepherd number six or, or sheep. <laughs> number 17, you know, I, I have this strange memory in year two of being a fireman in the nativity. And I, there, there's actually a photo of it, and uh, I, I don't know why, I think it was a modern take on the nativity. Uh, but for many of us, even if you don't come from a Christian family, the Christmas story is just part of our, our living memory. It's just part of who we are, something we look to as a constant. But in another way, the Christmas story is actually very unfamiliar to us. When you actually sit and read the Bible story, it's from a very unfamiliar time, a very unfamiliar experience to us. We don't live in a time of wise men coming from the East or, or angels in particular. We don't often think about angels in our modern world. In years gone by, uh, Victoria and I often had visits from uh, angels in the night uh, they would come in, not with a message from God, usually they'd come in and tap me on the head and say, I've got to go to the toilet. But uh, that's the only sort of messages I ever got from our little angels. Uh, but when we think of angels, we tend to think of cute, chubby little children with, uh, with wings. It's what we, we think of. But those sorts of angels, they're a figment of someone's imagination. Uh, and I think part of uh, the annoyance of those sort of pictures of angels is they make us think of the Christmas story as like a fairy tale or, or something like that when it's actually grounded in history. Uh, when the angels in the Bible appear, they are real and they are frightening. That is the, the consistent picture of angels in the Bible. They are beings that live in the heavens with God. They act as his messengers, if you like, his go-betweens between him and the earth. And the few times angels are talked about in the Bible, they talk about impressive beings who, who shine with the glory of God and who strike fear into the heart of any person who sees them. That's the consistent message of the Bible. 
And so in the Christmas story in Luke's gospel that we started getting into last week, Mike opened the first part with us, it starts with two angelic appearances. So the angel Gabriel comes to these two different people, but each with a promise of a child. Uh, So last week, we saw the promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth that they would have a child, and we saw how that was going to be John, John the Baptist. Uh, And it was an amazing story. That was the, the, the first appearance. Now we get the second angelic appearance to start the story. I don't know if you've been in that situation where you get great news and everyone is excited for you and then someone else walks in with even better news and you're forgotten. Uh, I remember at the Olympics, I think it was in Tokyo that happened when we were all in lockdown, uh, one of the swimmers, one of the Australian swimmers broke a world record in the semi-final and then that night they got beaten in the final and that person broke their world record. So they were like the world, they were like the toast of Australia for about 15 minutes and then someone else came in and they were just a forgotten footnote. It's a bit like that here for Zechariah and Elizabeth. We have this wonderful story uh, uh, that, that would just be the main show in any other time in history. Then straight away, they're put in the shadow as this angel appears to give another, this time much younger woman, even greater news. So come with me to Luke 1, verse 26. And what I want you to do is I want you to set aside your familiarity with the story as we look at it together and just try and put yourself in Mary's shoes as this glorious angel appears to her. So my first heading is Gabriel's shocking news from verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is obviously about nine months before the nativity play scenes, nine months before the trip to Bethlehem and the manger and all of that. And Nazareth, where this happened, I'm sure you know this, Nazareth was a a tiny, insignificant town in Galilee. It's now a major city in Israel, but then it was just a little town, which itself was in the backward northern part of Judea. So here is this young virgin Mary, probably no older than 15, 16 or 17. That was the age range you were betrothed to be married in the ancient world. And suddenly here is this angel standing in front of her. And you can imagine Mary's fear and it doesn't help when the angel starts talking to her. I love how angels always say, don't be afraid. So they're like, well, that's not helping. But look at verse 28. The angel came to her and said, rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. That's it's important we understand those words because it has caused misunderstandings and problems for hundreds of years. When the angel calls Mary favoured woman, or, or down in verse 30, you have found favour with God, uh, that's not a comment that she has earned this favour. It's not a comment that you alone, out of all people, could be the person we've chosen. No, 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 they chose her and she could have been one of many. Uh, it's not about something inherent to her, it's about God's gracious choice of her. The angel is saying, God has chosen to favor you. Of all the people of the world, you, by doing this amazing thing through you. But knowing that didn't help Mary, she's still deeply troubled. She's wondering what's going on. It's funny, we have this this sort of uh, view of the ancient world. We think they were either really gullible or, or that uh, events like this happen to everyone all the time. This was about as common then as it is now. What's happening here? And just like today, if Mary told someone, I was talking to an angel last night, you can imagine how many people would have believed her. They wouldn't have. They would have thought she was crazy. So she's deeply troubled by what's happening. So Gabriel explains more fully why he's come. And basically what he says is, you are going to play a role in the coming of the most important human being 
who has ever lived. That's all, Mary. Don't be afraid. Let's look at what the angel said to her. Verse 30. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now those are pretty amazing things that he said there about this unborn child. Let me just draw out a few of the incredible things the angel is saying about the baby. Firstly, the name they were to give him, Jesus. You will call his name Jesus. The name Jesus in Greek or or Joshua, as his mum would have actually called him in Hebrew or Aramaic, it means God saves. This child to be born is God's saviour. And of course, if we were to read on in Luke's gospel, we would discover what that means, that Jesus came into the world to save people from their sin, to die on a cross, to take upon himself the punishment we deserve for our sin. That's what it means that he saves. And that's why Mary had to give him this name, Jesus, God saves. More than that, Mary already would have had her her Old Testament expectations in the back of her mind. She was a a faithful Jew. She would have heard the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and and she would have known God had promised that one day he would send a saviour king, a messiah or a Christ, as we call it, a descendant of the great King David. She knew the great promises of the Old Testament. She knew 2 Samuel 7. She knew Psalm 2. She knew Isaiah 9 that we, we read as our Old Testament reading before. And that's what makes what the angel says in verse 32 so significant. Because here he's picking up on all those Old Testament promises. Look at verse 32. He says, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. That, that title was the title for the Messiah. That was the title for the Christ, the King who God would send, the one who would destroy all God's enemies and bring peace to the world. Later on, we discover there's even more to that title than that. Later on, we discover Jesus is actually God the Son, that he is divine. But here the angel is telling her, this baby you are going to have is God's promised King. He is the Messiah. And then Gabriel says, look there, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's expanding on that point. This is the one God promised. This is the one who fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. This is that descendant of King David we've been looking for every week for the last term as we were reading two kings and it never came. That's why it's so important that it stresses that Jesus' earthly parents are descended from King David. The king had to be from David's line. And the angel says, And this king will be unlike any other king who has ever been or will ever be. Just look at verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob, that's Israel. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. See, even the best kings like David himself or Hezekiah or Josiah who we've read about, eventually they got old. Eventually they died. Their kingdoms eventually failed and fell, but not this king. This kingdom will last forever. The peace and the joy and the forgiveness that this king brings, first to Israel, that's the house of Jacob, but then to the whole world, to all people, it will last forever. Not a hundred years, not a thousand years, but into all eternity. Mary, that's the baby you're going to have. Now remember I asked you to set aside your familiarity. I would say most of us know those things about Jesus, don't we? 
I've not shared anything new for most of us this morning, but familiarity can make us forget how amazing Jesus is. God saves. Jesus is God's Messiah, the King who rules forever. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. Well, come with me to the next part of the story, which is Mary's shocked response from verse 34. One of my favourite movies is The Castle. I mentioned the castle at uh, 630 Church a few weeks back and was shocked when lots of our young people have not watched the castle. I I actually went home in tears. I was distraught. But one of the scenes in the movie is where the daughter gets married uh, and she goes on her honeymoon with Eric Banner, if you remember in the story, and they go to Thailand and and they come back sharing about all their wonderful experience. It's the culture, Mr Kerrigan. It's the culture, says Eric Banner. But the little brother just keeps asking, what did you get to eat on the plane? What movies did you have on the plane? He's shocked and amazed by those things when there are these amazing things to be shocked by and amazed by. Mary is actually a little bit like the little brother in the castle here. Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not been intimate with a man? Now that is a massive question. It is actually an important question. How can I be pregnant when I'm a virgin? But it seems she hasn't grasped quite what the angel has said about this baby yet that that's what should amaze her and that's what what really should amaze her once she grasps it so she's worried about the details of how when she should be amazed by the who of who he's going to be that is the real wonder but still her question's a real one how can a virgin be pregnant and the angel graciously answers her question i say graciously because do you remember last week's story what happened to zechariah when he asked a question of the angel He got struck dumb for for the rest of his wife's pregnancy. He got judged for not believing what what the angel of God had told him. So why is the angel so much nicer to Mary than to Zechariah? It's a bit unfair, isn't it? Actually, a few people, I was amazed. You know when people come and ask you after church, ask ask me after church questions. I got more questions about that than anything after Mike's sermon last week, which is why was he so mean to Zechariah when he's so nice to Mary next week? Anyway, Here's why. I think it's a couple of things. Firstly, Mary's miracle is on a whole nother level. Through the Bible, God has consistently given a child to couples past the age of childbearing. It's happened at many of the major moments, starting back with Abraham as you're, Abraham and Sarah, as you remember. God has made that happen. That is different to a virgin birth. That's one thing. More than that, Zechariah is an older man who is a priest in the temple of God. He should know his Bible well enough to know what God can do. Mary is a young girl. It's that common principle, I think, in the Bible where more is expected of those who have more knowledge. More is expected of those who have been given more. And I think it's a little reminder for us who have so much access to God's word, such freedom of fellowship. What will we do with it? But back to the angel. He explains it to Mary. Look from verse 35. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary, if God can make your cousin Elizabeth fall pregnant in her old age, God can do this. God can give you this child. This is the God we're talking about. Sometimes I speak to Muslim people and they've been told Christians believe that God slept with Mary. 
that, that somehow there, there was an actual union, if you like, between God and Mary. And they're horrified. That is not what this is saying. The point is, by his Holy Spirit, God puts this child in Mary. If God can create the universe with a word, if he can create Adam out of the dust, if God can do that, he can bypass the normal methods and, and put a baby in Mary's womb. Nothing is impossible for God. And because that is how this child is formed by the work of the Holy Spirit, because of that, look back at verse 35. Because of that, this baby is holy and he will be called the Son of God. This child is more than a great man. Even the greatest of men are sinners. This child is holy like God is holy. And this child is more than a great prophet. That's what the other baby, John, would grow up to be. Actually, the greatest man who had ever lived the greatest of the prophets but this child is the son of God and Mary's reaction is wonderful look at verse 38 she says I am the Lord's slave may it be done to me according to your word then the angel left her as I said a couple of times sadly Mary has been turned into something she never was by the church over the last 2,000 years Mary is not sinless Mary is not a a perpetual virgin. She goes on to have other children. There are brothers and sisters of Jesus. That point is just so obvious in the gospel. It's amazing people don't see it. It's actually a horrible blasphemy, a horrible sin to make statues of Mary, to worship Mary, to pray to Mary. It's not a matter of indifference. When people do that, they are sinning against Jesus. It is a horrible thing. But in reacting against those abuses... Don't lose sight of what Mary is. Mary is a wonderful example of faith. She is worthy of following as an example. That's what she is. She hears the word of God and she believes it. And then she offers herself to God as a slave. And that's what it is to be a Christian, isn't it? A Christian is someone who hears the word of God and believes it and then offers themselves to him as slaves. Just because Mary isn't what people have made her out to be doesn't mean she isn't a wonderful example. Well, come with me to the last part of the story, what I've called responding to Jesus from verse 39. Uh, The angel has told Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant. I think that's when Mary discovers it. There was no social media back then. They were on opposite sides of the country, if you like. Uh, I think she's actually, what, you're telling me Elizabeth's pregnant? My, My older cousin? So Mary heads off to visit her. When she gets there, we're given just one of those wonderful little moments you get in the Gospels. Look for verse 41. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, you are the most blessed of women and your child will be blessed. Isn't that just a great moment? Actually imagine it happening, these two obviously cousins who know each other well. Uh, In last week's passage, Zechariah and Elizabeth were told their baby would have the Holy Spirit even before he was born. So the, the, the Holy Spirit would not come upon him at a later point, like for any other prophet or king or whatever in the Old Testament. He would have it before he was born. That's what we're seeing here. And the Holy Spirit recognises Jesus. At this point, both the baby John and Elizabeth are prophets. The Holy Spirit enables them to, to see that, that this person, this baby, is more than a baby. The Holy Spirit enables them both to recognise the truth about Mary and the truth about the baby she's carrying them. Just by the by, this is one of those spots where the Bible shows us that an unborn child is a person to be loved 
and to be cherished and to be protected. The baby in that womb is John. That's so important to see that, but that's an aside. The point is, remember who this child is. He's John the Baptist. His parents have been told he will be great, the greatest of the prophets. They were told he would be the one who will turn Israel back to God in a way Elijah never could, in a way Elisha never could. That's how great he is. But he leaps for joy in the presence of the one who is greater than him. It's just a foretaste of what John will do when he grows up. Do you remember later in the Gospels? When John is doing his ministry and then Jesus arrives and John says, don't follow me, follow him. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Even the greatest man who ever lived bows to Jesus. And Elizabeth recognises the same thing. She was much older than Mary. Mary should have deferred to Elizabeth, but she recognises, Mary, you are more blessed than me. You're more favoured by God than me because the baby you carry is even greater than the baby I carry. As we close, we're given these wonderful little moments in the story for a reason. When the Gospels are written, everything that's in there is for a reason. Firstly, because they happened. Yes, so that's the, that's the first reason. It's there because this event happened. But secondly, I think it's there because it shows us the right reaction to Jesus. When you meet Jesus... The right response is to believe in him, to trust him, and to leap for joy. Because he is the son of God. Because he is the saviour of the world. See, what's the application for today? What's the, the thing to take away from today's passage? It's very simple. Praise God for Jesus. That's the application. Praise God for Jesus. Be amazed that God has sent his son into the world to be your saviour. Do not let your familiarity with this take away your joy in knowing Jesus. That's the point. Praise God for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful Christmas story, for the wonderful truth of history that you have sent your son into the world to be Jesus, to be our saviour. And so, Father, we pray that our familiarity would not take away our joy in this. We pray that we would never lose sight of how wonderful this news is and that we would declare his praises. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.